Hello and welcome to the Road to the Garden podcast. I'm Matt St. Jean here with a whole cast of characters here from Road to the Garden. We got Tommy Godin. You know him, you love him. He's been here quite a bit. Chris the Dingo, welcome back. And Ryan Casty making his first appearance. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah. A hype to have you guys on here. We got a fun show. We're going to be doing some kind of mid-season awards here. Non-conference play is basically over, and Big East play is basically about to start. We've had one Big East game, but we got the 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 meat of the schedules coming up here. So we're going to take this opportunity, look back, see what we've gotten right, what we've gotten wrong this season, hand out some awards based on what we've seen so far, and then take a look at this weekend coming up. We got some really good basketball. Excited to get into it here. Uh, just a reminder, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. All right, let's let's get into this. I think we want to start here with the midseason awards. This is the f- first thing coming up on our outline. we got a bunch of awards here, the list. We're, we're going to be doing Player of the Year, Freshman of the Year, Transfer of the Year, Coach of the Year, Most Improved. And then the team that's the biggest prize and the team that is the biggest disappointment. The preseason player of the year that we picked was Adama Sonogo and that the Big East picked was Adama Sonogo. Curious to see if that has changed for anybody here in mid-December. Tommy, I'm going to start with you on this one. Is it still Adama Sonogo? For me, it is not. It is not. And it could have been. It could have been. I figured that there would be at least one Adama Sonogo here. We got a cast of characters joining us tonight. So I figure one of them is going to give some amazing insight onto why um, he should be the mid-season player of the year. And you can certainly make a great argument, but mine is Ryan Kalkbrenner from Creighton. Um, When I think player of the year, I'm thinking most valuable player. And you're seeing just how valuable Ryan Kalkbrenner is in this stretch of games that they're missing and he isn't playing in. Um, He's top 10 in the conference in points per game, uh, rebounding. He's number one in field goal percentage. I mean, on Ken Palm, his stats match up as well. Top five in the country in true shooting percentage, effective shooting percentage. He's taken 72 two-point shots. He's missed just 14 of them all year. Oh, and by the way, he's just a reigning defensive player of the year. So I think he's made great strides offensively. Of course, the defense is always going to be there. Um, so to start us off roaring hot, uh, my pick is going to be Ryan Kalkbrenner. Now, Chris, I know you're our, our resident Creighton guy here. Are you going with the hometown favorite and joining Tommy? I am not. Uh, I, I'm sure I will talk about Kalkbrenner later in the podcast, so I'll, I will holster the, my takes there for now. Uh, I'm going to go with Sonogo. I think that is the, the easy pick. Uh, he's number four in player of the year on Ken Palm. He averages, what, 18? 18 and six and a half, I think right now, like he, he's just so important to what UConn does. And, and um, especially with Klingon being, you know, pretty, pretty darn serviceable off the bench. Like uh, he's even more um, useful during his minutes out there. I think, I think uh, Sonogo would be my player of the year so far. And Ryan, where are you going with this one? I love Ryan Kalkbrenner, but I'm going with the Dom Sonogo up to this point. Uh, you know, he leads the conference in points per game. He's a conference and efficiency rating. He's the best player on the best team in the conference right now. So um, I think it's, it's hard to steer away from him. Yeah, I agree there. I had Kalkbrenner as my preseason pick, actually. And I think Tommy makes a really convincing argument. But then you watch the games and you just see the way Adama Snoko makes an impact. And I don't think there's a wrong pick between the two, but I think there is a right one in Sonogo there. A lot of time for that still to play out and time for that to change. I'll add Sonogo would be the biggest player of the year, according to Ken Palm right now, too. And I think I think all of that matches the eye test. Uh, while we're talking about big men from UConn, let's talk about the freshman of the year award. So this is one uh, I think we all know who I'm talking about when I say that. Donovan Klingen has kind of come on the scene here and... I, He's, he's been the best big man on UConn in some of these games. Is he, uh, Chris, I'm going to come to you on this one. Is he your freshman of the year right now, or are you going with somebody like Cam Whitmore? He is. Uh, I'm going Klingon. He's been so impressive. 
Um, his athleticism at what seven one, seven two, whatever, uh, is unbelievable, and just his coordination as a freshman—it's great. Uh, whoever coached him in high school like did a fabulous job. Um, yeah, I am not sure about this, but I would assume this would be the first time that uh, two players of the same position on the same team would win. Uh, two different players would win freshman of the year and player of the year, um, which would be yeah. very cool. Yeah, I don't know how to fact check that one. I might right. have to manually go through some of the records here and see what we can find. Maybe I'll reach out to somebody at the Big East and see what we can find on that one. Ryan, any dissent or is Klingon your guy here? I'm going with Klingon here. I think uh, as Whitmore plays more games, you know, going into conference play, we might see a closer competition. But up to this point, Klingon's, you know, second in the in blocks in the conference. He's sixth in offensive rebounding. He's second in true field goal percentage. And he's doing that play in 15 minutes off the bench. So I, I think it's hard to go away from him. Yeah. Tommy, you're a Villanova guy. Obviously, Cam Whitmore was the guy before the season. Now he's hurt. He hurt himself and he's not coming on right away. Are you uh, are you going with Klingon here, too, for freshman of the year? I sure am. I, uh, I, I wanted to think a little bit outside of the box. I could make a, an argument for Kalk Brenner outside of the box for player of the year, but there's no I'm not going to spend too much time on this one it's the obvious choice I mean he's mobile he's tall as hell he can block shots defend rebound um Ken Palm has his player comp comp as 2021 Zach Eady so I mean that's I mean I'm not upset I I do think to Ryan's point I do think as Whitmore plays more games it's going to be a really close finish I know Klingon has a pretty nice head start right now um, Whitmore special, but right now it, it, it's obviously, it's obviously Donovan Klingon. Yeah. I got to agree there. I just want to throw one other name out here that didn't end up in this discussion. And that's, uh, Klingon's teammate there, Alex Caravan, who has started for UConn and been a really, really, really good player. He, he also, the way he plays the position he plays, I think is very valuable in the big East kind of having a guy who can rebound and shoot three the way he does. So. I'm intrigued to see how he looks in Big East play. I think he's a guy who could also slip into this conversation depending on how things end up going here down the line. All right, we're, we're talking newcomers. We talked the young guys. Now let's talk the old guys. We got a lot of transfers coming into the conference. Baylor Shireman was our preseason pick for transfer of the year. Ryan, I'm going to start with you here. Before conference play starts, who do you have as your best transfer into the Big East? I had preseason Baylor Shireman, like pretty much anybody else, but through um, 10, 11 games, it's got to be Suli Boom for me. Um, he's kind of the leader of this Xavier team, which has hung right in as a top three, four team in the Big East. You know, he's, he's fourth in the conference in points per game. He's done a really good job stepping up from that lower conference level um, into the Big East and shining. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. Tommy, who do you have? Yep, no arguments for me. It's it's Sule Boom. Um, he's the leading scorer on a team with Colby Jones, Jack Nunji, and Zach Fremantle. That's top five in the conference, averaging 17 points a game. I don't know where the Xavier team would be without him. I don't know if you could rely on guys like Desmond Claude or Dekevion Tandy to be that guy. Not Kai Kai, not Kiki. Look it up on Xavier's website if you're down for a treat. It's Dekevion Tandy, uh, the little <laughs> hear it button. Um, but yeah, for those reasons and many more, it, it's, it's too late boom for me. Yeah. Tom, Tommy got, uh, he sent me a video earlier of the Kiki Tandy name pronunciation on the Xavier website. I was dying at that. <laughs> Cause he throws numbers in there too. It's like, he says like, he says it really quick. He's like to on 24. And you're like, what? Don't even wear number 24. Not anymore. He used to wear that. Yeah. Not anymore. No, must be, must be old there. Chris, who are you going with here for transfer? I'm sticking my guns. Uh, I'm staying. I'm staying with Baylor Shireman. Uh, I don't know what everyone expected him to do when he got to Creighton. Uh, I don't know if everyone expected him to shoot 50% from three in the Big East, um, but he's averaging 12 and a half and nearly 10 rebounds a game while shooting 38% from deep. Uh, he's been pretty much what I thought he would be, and that's really really good. And Sule Boom obviously is a, a fantastic player, and he's he's done very well. Uh, but I think Shireman is exactly what I signed up for and he's one of the best shooters in the conference and rebounds at a super high clip with a team on a team with Ryan Kalkbrenner. I'll, I'll see. Yeah. Stay Shireman. Yeah. I like that pick too. Cause I think, I think he makes an impact 
that doesn't show up on the stat sheet too. I think he's a really good passer and he sees the, the, the I almost said the field, the court very well there. It's funny. I almost think Shireman is a better distributor than somebody like Sule Boom, even though Sule Boom is technically a point guard and Shireman's there playing the four. I'm looking into the future that Shireman versus Caravan matchup whenever Creighton and UConn play is something I'm going to be highlighting. But yeah, my pick here is Sule Boom. It's funny you mentioned it, people expecting Shireman to shoot 50% from three. Sule Boom is shooting over 51%. From three, and he leads uh, Xavier in three points made per game. He's doing it on high volume so far. So obviously, I think quality of opponent comes into that. But uh, he's he's scoring just about as well with Xavier as he was in lower conferences before this, and I think that's incredibly impressive. We'll see if that holds true playing in the Big East now for twenty games. But he's been every bit as good as the player that Xavier could have expected to this point in the season. It's uh, it's been impressive there, nonetheless. Um, next award coming up, we got Coach of the Year here. Our, I believe our preseason Coach of the Year was Greg McDermott. I don't think he's going to get anything here. We'll see. Uh, Tommy, who did you have? Yeah, and this is another, I think, fairly obvious one, at least for me, but it's Dan Hurley. Um maybe not even for big East coach of the year, but national coach of the year, at least John Rothstein thinks so he's getting every last drop of talent out of these guys. I mean, they were picked fourth in the preseason poll. They started the season unranked and to start the way that they're starting undefeated wins all by double digits. I mean, you just, you have to be the front runner. Yeah. Do you, uh, Chris, do you agree with Tommy? Yeah, I tried to, think of other ways to go here but you just can't uh he's fielded a lot of new pieces and and different pieces and put them all together so well almost seamlessly like this team's been playing together for you know two years already it's it's really impressive Hmm. ryan do we have three of a kind here we got three of a kind um you know i think this is kind of the culmination of danny hurley's tenure with uconn moving up into uh, one of the p6 schools and this is as good as you could have imagined I actually, I went a different route with this. I ended up going with Shaka Smart here only because, and it it depends on how you're going to define coach, because Dan Hurley is the reason they have all that talent, but um, he's also has a lot more talent on that team right now than they have at Marquette. Shaka's in year two, a team that people really did not respect coming into the season, and they have, I think, the best win of any Big East team so far this year. The, their three losses have come to teams with a combined 27-2 and two record. Like Two of their losses were to teams that are currently undefeated. Mississippi State is currently undefeated as we speak, although they are in a close one. I don't have a score update on their game right now. Um, I think what he's done there is very impressive. And the reason they're winning is because of the scheme that he puts on the floor and the way his players buy into it. Uh, I don't think it's – I think – if you're trying to weigh between Shaka and Dan Hurley, it's which do you value more taking a good team and making it elite or taking what people see as a bad team and making it good. And I don't know if there's a wrong answer there, but I really like that. Really like that pick from you, Matt. <laughs> Nothing to add. Just I'm gonna tell you, I like it. <laughs> I'll soak in that compliment. You can say it a couple more times if you want. Uh, <laughs> easy now. <laughs> Uh, they got they got a fun team up there in Milwaukee. We're going to be talking about them shortly when we look ahead to the weekend. We got a couple more awards here. We're on to our last individual one, and that's going to be the most improved player this year. We didn't do a preseason one, but now we're we're part way through, so we can start to take a look at this. Chris, I think I'm coming to you on this one. If I'm taking my turns here correctly, who did you pick? I am going to go with Zach Fremantle. Um, if you look at his stats from last year to this year, he's averaging two more rebounds, two more assists, shooting 50% more from three, uh, just way more efficient and, and doesn't turn the ball over as much. Like he, he's just playing so much better. And it was off to a rocky start, uh, obviously with that early suspension or whatever you want to call it, but he has really played well for, for Xavier so far. Yeah, he definitely has. If we had if we had a comeback player of the year on this, too, I think he could be in that. Ryan, who do you have as most improved? Uh, I have Joel Soriano for St. John's, um, who's just been a monster 
for the Johnnies up to this point. He's first in rebounds, first in offensive rebounds, eighth in blocks. Uh, he really changed his body over the summer from where he was last year. He's able to get up and down to court with St. John's the way they want to play basketball this year. Um, and I think that he's been the best player on, on, on their team up to this point. Yeah, he's he has been a double-double machine there. It's incredible. And I, I think uh, the managers around the, the, what do you call it, arena managers in the Big East are going to have to worry about Soriano coming in the way he dunks the ball. You're going to need an extra rim or two, an extra backboard in the back just in case. Man. Tommy. Yeah, I, I really like that pick, Ryan. But um, I actually have the same pick as Chris. Um, my pick is Zach Fremantle. Um, before the season started, there were questions of if he's going to play this year. He had an uncharacteristic, um, questionable year last year, 10-5-1 last year. Um, but Sean Miller, just like Dan Hurley, is getting every drop of talent out of his guys too. He's passing the ball so much better this year, uh, so far averaging three assists per game so far. Um, he's taking good shots. He's rebounding it very well. He's top 10 in the conference in both field goal percentage and rebounding. Um, so, yeah, he he was outstanding last year. was just an anomaly for him, and it looks like he's really turning it around again. Yeah, I'm, I'm super happy to see him have some success there, too, under the new head coach. That's and it's a huge reason why Xavier has been as good as it's been all season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My pick, I have a different player from any of you. I went with Cam Jones up at Marquette as a guy who is now um, just outside the top five in scoring in the Big East. He scored uh, – he had 7.4 points per game last last year. He's up to 16.4 points per game. He's shooting the three ball really well. He shoots the ball well, really, in every area of the court. His free throw percentage went up big time. His assists are up. His turnovers have really stayed at about the same level there. He's added more rebounds. He's getting on the court more. And obviously, that's they needed that internal growth there at Marquette. But this is a team that needed somebody to step up to fill the roles, to fill, to fill the holes left by guys that were departing. And he's been the guy so far for this team when it comes to putting the basketball in the net. Also, a huge reason why Tyler Kolick has as many assists as he does right now. I think in terms of sophomore leap, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, the other guys we picked are upperclassmen, but in terms of guys who have improved from where they were as a freshman, Cam Jones is running away with it. Yeah, he's he's taking a leap. I like the Joel Soriano pick, too, because he's a guy, yeah. he was so under the radar. And I don't think, I think people thought they knew who Soriano was last year. And uh, that's that's what makes college basketball interesting. Guys take leaps when you don't expect it. And he's been a pivotal part of St. John's having a really good season so far. Yeah, just looking at the way he changed his body, you can tell how um, invested he is in this and how committed he is because it's not easy going from where he was to where he is now. No, and it's in, in with what Mike Anderson likes to do, he kind of has to be under the basket at both ends of the floor all at all times when they are running up and down the floor constantly. And to be able to do that as a big man for as many minutes a night as he gives and play well is impressive. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're moving on to a couple of team awards here. We'll start with the uh, – do, do we want to start with the good news or the bad news here? I, let, let's good start news. with some good, good news. news. Yes. I All need right. a little bit to prepare for the bad news. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the uh, the biggest surprise, biggest positive surprise here for a team so far this season. Ryan, I think we're starting with you on this one. So what I'm going to piggyback off you a little bit, Matt. I had Marquette as my biggest surprise. Um, you know, I picked them as one of the bottom three or four teams in the conference. You talked about them losing Daryl Morsell, Kirk Weth, and um, some kid that went to the Bulls. Justin, uh, Justin Lewis. Lewis. Justin Lewis, thank you. Yeah, arguably they're three best players. Um, and so I was definitely expecting them to take a significant step back. And, um, you know, Cam Jones has just stepped up. Um, Olivia Max is prosper. David Joplin have all been incredible for that team. Tyler Kolek, you know, you knew what you were going to get out of him, but he's kept doing it and even elevated it a little bit. Also, Gadaro. Um, so I was really uh, pleasantly surprised by Marquette up to this point. Yeah, totally agreed there. Tommy, who did you have? Yeah, and again, I really like that pick. They were my runner-up for uh, the, the good team award. Um, but mine is UConn. Um, when Jim Mora came to UConn as the football coach, he busted his ass and he got results way earlier than expected. And Dan Hurley took that personally. <laughs> he, I mean, 
again, I, I said it once, I'll say it again. They started the season unranked. Now they're undefeated, winning all their games by double digits. Uh, it, it just goes to show these teams like Villanova, who have one transfer in the last like million years, Caleb Daniels, um, what the transfer portal can do. Um, they have good leadership, Hawkins, Jackson, Sonogo, ton of talent from the portal, um, all combined with Hurley pulling all the strings. He's doing an amazing job. Uh, I I think it's got to be UConn. Yeah, it's, it, you really can't go wrong picking UConn for any kind of positive award at this point right. in the season. <laughs> Chris, we'll come to you with this. I am actually going to pick another team unmentioned so far, and we'll go with Butler. I was super low on Butler. This was probably uh, the most wrong of any team of the of the season so far that that I have been wrong about. Uh, they've been really pretty good. Their only three losses are to NC State, Tennessee, and Penn State, all solid teams, and they've won every game they're supposed to. You haven't really got like a super Butler stinker so far. Uh, beat K-State, and really they should have, I think, won that NC State game. Manny Bates has proved to be fantastic. Uh, I think Thad Mata's got that program really trending up right now. I had I had Butler as my kind of runner-up to this award here, but I got to go with Marquette. I mean, they were picked ninth in the Big East preseason coaches poll. I had them at eighth in my personal ballot, and I didn't feel good about having them at eighth because I liked the talent and I liked the way it fit together, but I couldn't couldn't justify putting them higher. I should have found a way to justify it because <laughs> this team's playing really good basketball right now, and. I would not want to be a ranked team that has to go play in Pfizer Forum. I will tell you that much. I wouldn't want to be any team that has to go play in Pfizer Forum. They they really uh, they win a lot of games in that building, and they make it a hard place to play. And they're uh, they're a fun team to watch. Now we'll now we'll go to the bad news here. And I think I think we got we have both the Villanova and Creighton guys on here right now, and we're going to talk most disappointing teams. <laughs> but I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Tommy, we're going to start with you on this one. Who's been the biggest disappointment in the Big East so far? This was a toss-up between two teams, and we all know what the two teams are. My bias might be showing here a little bit, but I had to go with Creighton just because of where they started to where they are now. I mean, they started the year completely healthy, and they had a great start to the year. They picked up a couple um, decent wins. Uh, they, I mean, I'm not, this is so tough because I'm not giving up hope yet on this Creighton team, but I mean, they have been disappointing. Um, they have the losses to BYU and Nebraska aren't great. I understand that Villanova has some tough losses as well, but the thing that gave Creighton the edge in this pillow fight is that Nova's trending upwards and Creighton's trending downwards right now. And that's where, that's where Creighton got the, got the pick in this one. Well, that's a perfect segue to you over there, Chris, as the Creighton guy. Are you going to return the, fl- the favor and slam Villanova here? I really want to. Uh, <laughs> Tommy, I really thought you'd go Nova there, and I could feel good about it. But no, I'll go Creighton. Um, it's been super disappointing. Obviously, the expectations were sky high for a, a pretty young team still, three sophomores and and then Kalkbrenner and Shireman uh, starting. But uh, it's certainly not all lost, right? Uh, without Kalkbrenner, they're... 0.99 points per possession with him. They're 1.08. And then obviously they're very much better defensively as well. But uh, their two-point shooting percentage is down 10% without him. Like when he's back, they'll be fine. Uh, he's been dealing with that illness since in Maui. So I think we didn't even get the best version of Creighton in Maui. And they played really well in Maui, right? They beat two ranked teams and barely lost to Arizona. So I think when all the pieces get back and everyone is fully healthy, I think uh, we are the best is yet to come. But uh, it has certainly been a, a disappointing start, if not only for that uh, that Nebraska loss. Right, that's that's two picks already for Creighton. Are we going to get a majority on that, Ryan? You know, I kind of I went with the third team because the way I see it, Villanova and Creighton are both dealing with injury. You can argue both of their best players are out. One team that's not dealing with injury is the Georgetown Hoyas, who <laughs> a lot We're of hanging fruit right there. A lot of people believed that they, you know, had a lot more talent on their team this year and that they were going to make a lot of strides and that they were going to, you know, could be an NCAA tournament team. And um, they've been potentially worse than last year. Um, So any positive hope that had been built up in the preseason is pretty disappointed right now. Yeah, that's actually that's a fantastic pick here. And I think it says something about how 
low the expectations have gotten and how bad the program has gotten that they're picked to finish 10th and they were still that big of a disappointment that year. I, I really wasn't even thinking that way, but I think you, you might actually have the correct answer here for just looking at the metrics and preseason versus where they are now. It's quite a fall. Yeah. I didn't even think of that, about that. Yeah, well done. Good pick. Yeah. I went with Villanova here only because they were my preseason pick to win the conference, and I think that's kind of shot now. I don't think that has a chance. I don't think it's a bad team, and I think it's better than like I think it will get better throughout the season. But the, some of the depth, the scoring depth on this roster has not lived up to the hype. Has not been able to perform in the way I think people expected that it could perform this year, and that's why I mean, the the discussion has been about Chris Archidiakono playing so much there, and he's not a bad player, but with the talent they have, he should not have to start for them, even with Justin Moore. And the fact that guys have not been able to fill that role and rise to the occasion, and it took Cam Whitmore kind of coming back for them to get some wins together, I think is a, a little bit concerning about just how deep this team actually goes and how, how they're going to be able to compete in the Big East. Tom, you got thoughts on that one? I do, but I'll save it for the next segment because I really like this next segment. Okay. All right, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll jump right into it then. Those are our midseason awards there. This next segment, uh, I'm actually going to shout out Chad Graff at The Athletic for giving me this idea in an article, and I, I like this. It's called What I Think, What I Know. So we're each going to be giving you kind of two takes on something. One is what we think could happen, and we're, we're, we're going big picture with it. We're thinking big. The next is what we know. We're kind of coming back to earth and saying, all right, this is where we know for sure this is where this stands. Tommy, this is you're excited for this one, you said, so you can just start this off. I was, and you segued me perfectly into it, asking if I have any thoughts. My thoughts for what I think is I think Villanova has done a complete 180, uh, the trajectory of their season. I think they're back to being that team that was ranked inside of the top 20 to begin the season. Um, Cam Whitmore's back. They're, Villanova's undefeated right now. I don't know if you knew that, Matt. <laughs> uh, they're 3-0. The season just started, so um, that was all preseason <laughs> before that. No, but Cam Whitmore being back is obviously huge, not only on the offensive end. Villanova has a ton of bucket getters on the offensive end. He helps out on defense, but even with him being back, Kyle Neptune's figuring things out. For example, Angelo Brizzy, he averaged 13 and a half minutes from game one to the last game of the Phil Knight Invitational, um, coinciding with Cam's return since then. He's only played two total minutes, including two do not, did not plays. Uh, in that stretch, Mark Armstrong cracked the starting five. And as of the Boston College game, finally eclipsed minutes leader Chris Arch in minutes of a, in a game. Um, and I know you're thinking BC. BC's terrible. Of course they are. Um, we, we played Penn without an 18-point-per-game score for Penn. But, I mean, you look at the Delaware State game, We were losing. Villanova was losing to them at halftime. So it, to blow a team out is a huge stride in the right direction uh, from the Delaware state game to the end of the Phil Knight invitational, their three pointers are down 32.8 threes per game down to 24.6 ever since. Um, and they're just not turning the ball over. They had 18 turnovers in the Iowa state game and they've been averaging less than seven turnovers a game since then. So I, I think that, Everything is starting to finally click for Villanova, and it's coinciding at the best time with Cam Whitmore returning. Um, they beat the best team that they played all season, according to Ken Palm, Oklahoma. Um, they were ranked 32nd at the time that they played them. Um, the defense is coming around. Uh, in the PK, they gave up a smidge under 80 points a game. Since then, they've only given up 60 over 60 once. So, I mean, everything is starting to click for these Wildcats, and I'm I'm really excited for the rest of the year for them. All right. So what was the what I know part of that? The what I know was all the, the stats I threw at the you. Rest, I like it. <laughs> I, like it. <laughs> I like it. Chris, what do you got? All right. Uh, my think is I think UConn's the best team in the country. All right. I really do. Um, I think they have solidified the, themselves. It's not only like – you know, best team in the Big East conversation, but legitimately the entire country. They're number one, Ken Palm. I don't see a whole lot of weaknesses on this team. Um, Hurley has done such a fantastic job. What I know is that 
they'll be around in the NCAA tournament past the first round. They'll, uh, <laughs> they will do that this year for sure. Uh, I would bet my life savings on it. So uh, Hurley will get that first round win that they did not have last year. Um, this team's really, really good and uh, is certainly surprising me somewhat. Yeah, ho- hopefully we don't have to get uh, old takes exposed called on. Yeah. <laughs> he said that about Virginia a few years ago, too. all right ryan what do you have Uh, i also went uconn um i said what i think is that uconn has the best defense in the country uh right now they're ranked fourth on ken palm they're giving up like 55 points a game which is top 10 in the country and obviously they're facing a pretty high level of competition compared to some of these other teams that are able to keep the point totals low um, their depth, especially at the center position, which we already t- touched on, going from Adama Sonogo to Donovan Klingon, who are both plus-plus defenders, Andre Jackson, um, and, and then being able to go to bench with your guards and just stay fresh. I think that they may end up as the best defense in the country. What I know is that this is definitely Danny Hurley's best defense, um, and the way they use the principles that he's always stuck with since URI, um, this is the defense that's able to put it all into practice finally. I like that, and I think, yeah, the two UConn takes there back-to-back, I think it's clear. Just, it's impressive just how good this UConn team is compared to where it was. I went kind of big picture here with mine. Um, where is mine? Yeah, I, I, what I said, what I think, the Big East is going to end up as a top-three conference when it's all said and done. If you look at the Ken Palm rankings or how many teams they're getting in, anything like that, what I know is the Big East is going to finish stronger than it started. Why do I say that? Because I think some of the key teams here we've touched on have injury issues. Villanova is a team that should get healthier as the season goes on. Creighton's kind of worst losses here have come down a key starter. I look at a team like Butler, which I think has a chance here to make the NCAA tournament, and they've they've had some good wins and some good performance. They've been without Ali Ali. He just practiced for the first time since his, I think it was a concussion and some kind of a nose injury. He just practiced for the first time today on uh, Wednesday, December 14th, if you listen to this later. So he should really start to figure into this. Uh, Marquette has Zach Reitzel, who I know has been banged up. He's a guy who, as he gets healthy, he had his knee scoped, so he's been kind of working his way back. He should be a depth guy for them that's going to help them out. And I also think you've seen a team like uh, Providence, has started to play its best basketball lately. They missed chances for big wins early. They're going to have chances to make those up later. Uh, and I also think kind of having DePaul and Georgetown at the bottom of the conference is going to allow a little bit of win padding here for some of these teams, which will help. Uh, but then you get, I mean, Seton Hall is a team that has talent and can put it together in theory. That defense is really good. They can beat teams. And St. John's is the team that I didn't even really mention in that. Xavier also, two teams that should be tournament teams. It's, I think there's a lot of negative stuff in the non-conference you can throw away because of injuries or performance getting better throughout the season. And if that happens, don't be surprised if, if we're sitting here in March talking about seven, six or seven teams from the Big East getting into the dance. I like I that. It, I think it's a great thing to happen. Yeah. I, I certainly hope so, because otherwise this could end up being a long season for some of these teams. <laughs> Hopefully, Justin Moore is the cure-all for that Villanova backcourt that we've been looking for. That's for sure. Hey, if he's 50% of the player he was last year, even coming off the bench, adding some depth, that's paramount in March. Yeah. Tommy, what's the what's the timetable on, on him return-wise? Dude, Villanova is Fort Knox when it comes to that stuff. What I can tell you is I get to the games like two hours before tip-off. He's out there. He's running 2-1-2. He's shooting. He's doing drills. He has no – brace or tape well, i don't know if there's tape under a sock but he, there's no bulky restrictions on his leg he's out there he's running he's jumping he's shooting it confidently um i would expect him back maybe midway through conference but maybe that's a little optimistic but definitely um before the end of the year i'd expect him back yeah there's definitely been an interesting dichotomy about what justin moore saying his timetable is and what people with um, experience with these Achilles tears are saying his timetable is just more seems a little more optimistic um, than people who are familiar with this injury. And who I think are we to say Justin Moore's wrong about anything now, right? <laughs> okay, come on. 
Well, I think that's that's always athletes. Athletes are always more optimistic about their return than whatever the doctors say. They hear whatever the timetable is and say, I can beat that. Right. So, yeah. Well, we'll see whatever it ends up being. But, I mean, none of, there aren't really Big East teams that we thought were going to be good that have had losses that are disqualifying here. Yeah. So I think uh, there, there's a lack of resume building wins, but nothing that's that's going to kill you if you do good stuff. And, hey, the way things are going, everybody might get a shot at number one in UConn this year. If you get that win under your belt, that alone might get you into the tournament over some of these other teams. That's a great point. Yeah. All right. Before we look ahead to the weekend, I think it's time for – we'll do a little bit of uh, introspective stuff here, and we'll have a little bit of accountability, but – we can take a victory lap at the same time, too. We're going to go around and we're going to say uh, our preseason takes and talk about one thing that we got right, one thing that we got wrong from before the season. We can kind of do this lightning round to go through it quickly. And Chris, we'll, we'll start with you here. What did you get right? What did you get wrong? Okay, we'll start. And I got a two-pack of players here that I um, misvalued. We'll start with what I got wrong. Curbelo has been fine for St. John's. I thought he would be terrible. I thought it would be so bad. Uh, he shot 17% from three last year, and now he's bumped it up to 33.5%. Um, he's, you know, 2.1 steals per game, averaging over 11 points. He's played pretty well for a team that's, you know, having a really good season. So I'm happy for him, and, and I am glad to have been wrong about uh, his stock at St. John's. Uh, as far as what I got right, we'll go with Tristan Newton. Uh, he's He's been good. Uh, I, I think there was a little bit of discussion on like UConn forums and stuff before the season that he wouldn't really fit. And he hadn't been performing super well at UConn practices preseason, but he's played pretty well for them. And he's certainly filled um, kind of the, you know, older leadership role that departed with RJ Cole. And I'm, I'm happy that uh, he's having success. And I was right about that. I, I always thought that was an interesting pick just because Newton is a guy who had success against Dan Hurley when he was at ECU back in the American conference. He had a real big game early on there. And I always think that's interesting when a coach kind of picks a player that had a good game against them and says, no, I want, I know how, I know what your game looks like when you're on. I want you on my side this time. Uh, yeah, he's been good there. Ryan, what'd you have? Um, what I got right was that Georgetown has a serious coaching issue. Um, <laughs> we we believed that last year. They added a ton of talent to the team. They haven't got any better. So at this point, we're looking at coaching. And it's the, when you watch the games, the only way to explain some of what's going on is it's a coaching issue. Uh, what I got wrong was Shaka Smart's ability to develop players, which we already touched on. Um, but, you know, I really counted him out. Didn't think he'd be able to take those freshmen into big leaps into their sophomore year. And, you know, you're looking at guys who, who are really making a name for themselves right now. And so I got that one wrong. Yeah, that's a pair of good ones right there. I like that. Tommy, finish this up here. Yeah, kind of. Um, I'll start with the got wrong because the Marquette point kind of segues right into it. I'm not conceding my Caleb Daniel for player of the year take yet. I know I was taking a victory lap to Matt the like 10 minutes into the first half of the first game. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but that takes hanging on by the skin of my teeth. What I got wrong, like everyone else, was picking Marquette to finish towards the bottom um, of the league in the preseason poll. Um, I mean, this is just what Marquette does in the regular season, right? Um, my reason for deeming this take as wrong was their November 29th game against Baylor. The ceiling for Marquette is way higher than I thought. I did not know that they had that in them. Cam Jones is playing incredible. Um, and Jordan Lewis left. I thought there was no star power, but Oso has been a bona fide stud. Kolik is super annoying, which probably means he's good. And the Big <laughs> East, he's an amazing passer. So that's what I got wrong. What I got right, um, not going to take uh, saying picking Georgetown to finish last, but I'll go with Shaheen will be good, just not this year. Um, that's my take that I got right. I mean, the offense is stagnant. They're turning the ball over like crazy. Uh, Sha uh, Shaheen and I both dislike his current roster. <laughs> um, they're going to be okay. They have a couple close wins over some decent opponents, including a pillow fight against Rutgers the other day. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, Matt, you should know anyone. Some might say it's luck, especially as a Providence fan. Um, but as any Ed Cooley fan would know, um, a lot of the gritty wins come from coaching. 
Yeah. So I think Shaheen will be okay in that facet, but just not this year. Yeah. And that's, we're going to talk about that in just a minute here. Seton Hall starting off with a, a fun first game in the Big East. Obviously, they just got to win. They're going to be, uh, what's I don't remember the record off the top of my head, coming into Big East to play here. But they've looked up and down. Uh, yeah, they're going to be, I believe, yeah, seven and four coming into Big East to play here. My, my thing I got wrong, I mentioned it earlier, I had Villanova winning the conference. It's just unless something re- unless something happens to UConn, something serious happens to some of those players, it's it's not going to be Villanova winning this whole thing. What I got right was Butler. I had Butler as a team that could make the NCAA tournament. I had the Bulldogs at fifth in my biggest preseason rankings, and the preseason Ken Palm came out with Butler at one thirty, and I I was a little bit shaken on my take there, but I stood by it. And here we are, December fourteenth. Butler is fifth in the Big East in the net right now. Played well in the non-conference, and I feel they're they're a bona fide middle of the pack team to me that is better than they were last year. So I'm counting that in the I got it right category. That I think is going to wrap up our midseason review here. Unless anybody has anything to add before we jump into the weekend preview. All right, let's do it. We got our first first big Big East weekend coming up here. We got some non-conference games. We're going to talk about briefly too, but we're going to focus on the Big East games. We're going to go in chronological order here, and I think we're going to go kind of quick through this first one. Friday night, it's going to be Xavier at Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown's last regular season Big East win actually came at home against Xavier. That was on March 2nd, 2021. The leading scorer for Georgetown in that one was Chudier Belay. He had 16 points. Xavier's leading scorer was uh, Kiki Tandy with 14 in that one. Yeah, that's going way back. Does anybody here think that Georgetown's going to get their first biggest regular season win in quite a while Friday night? No. No. So guys, yeah. <laughs> Do I need to All elaborate? Right. <laughs> just, just flat no. I mean, Xavier can shoot the ball from deep very well. Georgetown can't defend it. Um, Ken Palm has this as a 10 point loss for Georgetown. I, I think it'll be worse than that. It's one of the games where Georgetown and Patrick Ewing are looking for a moral victory. If you want to watch something in this game, look to see how Primo Spears does against this Xavier competition. He's solid. Um, not a great shooter, but he's one of the best scorers in the Big East. So, um, if you want to watch that game, that's what I would look out for, especially as a Georgetown fan. Yeah, it's probably the story to watch there. Um, this is the 6.30 game on Friday on FS1. Fun fact, Xavier's last loss against a team outside the Ken Palm top 150 came in 2013 against USC. They lost that one 84-78. So when Xavier played in the battle for Atlantis and lost all three games, it's been that long since Xavier lost to a team that's considered as bad as this Georgetown team is. So, Was that in Sean Miller's first stint? Uh, no, that was that was the Chris Mack Savior team. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, but it's the fact that you're asking that I think says a lot about how long ago it was. <laughs> yeah, not a not great there for Georgetown. If we'll, we'll play the miracle game, if Georgetown wins this game, how does it happen? Xavier misses a lot of open shots because we know Georgetown can't defend. So Xavier's going to get a lot of open shots, and uh, you know, and he, sometimes you have a bad shooting night. Yeah, it's, I mean Xavier is tenth in effective field goal percentage, and Georgetown's defense is one hundred and seventy eighth. So, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of luck there. I think offensive rebounding too is one of those. Even if Xavier misses shots, they get bored, and Georgetown gives them up. So, right. Yeah, it's yeah maybe if Wahab is able to shut down Nunji and somewhat Fremantle. Uh, not allow super uncontested looks at the rim, then you could kind of make a case they keep it close, but I mean, they're just, they're not going to win this one. That's as this is a tough one to start out the year for Georgetown. Uh, I think the more interesting game on Friday, is going to happen in the late slot there, eight 30 Eastern Friday night, again on FS one it's Creighton at Marquette. Creighton comes into this one, having lost five in a row and going, going through the box scores real quick, I believe I have it right. The last time they lost five in a row was back in the 2014-15 season. They lost 
their last non-conference game, and then their first eight Big East games. They lost nine in a row then. Haven't done it since then. Uh, but Creighton has won four straight against Marquette and has won its last four games at Marquette. So, Chris, does the uh, which, which one of these streaks is ending? Uh, Creighton's going to lose this one, uh, if I had to bet. I love Shaka Smart at home. Uh, as we saw in that Butler game, like he just gets it done at home. And Creighton, without Kalkbrenner, I just think they get kind of bullied inside. Fred King actually looked really good um, against Arizona State, but uh, the ASU big guys are nowhere near uh, Oso and, and Marquette's big. So, yeah, give me Marquette. I, I think Creighton is able to keep it close, though. Interesting. In, I, that was not what I was expecting to hear from you. Now, do we have an update on Kalkbrenner? Is he going to play in this one? I, it is all but certain he's going to be out for, yeah, at least like another week or so. Man, that's that's a tough loss there for Creighton to lose a guy who is that good. This is a game we had penciled in as one of our games of the week. Ryan, are you kind of in alignment with Chris here about how it's going to go? Or I've got a little bit of a closer game there. Um, I think although Osoy Godaro is a superstar over at Marquette, doesn't bring the same physicality that some of the other big men in the Big East are going to bring, where which makes it a little bit of a better matchup for Frederick King. Um, and I think that, you know, outside of that, they're pretty evenly matched teams. You know, Creighton has had issues with making open shots up to uh, in the last few games during their skid. Um, you know, if they can write that ship, and they certainly have the shot makers on the team, um, I, I think they could sneak this one out. Yeah, I think I think this game has a really interesting battle of kind of depth versus the strength of your starting five there. Creighton has five guys who average more than 10 points, and then after that, nobody averages more than five versus is a Marquette team that only has one player who plays more than 30 minutes. Well, uh, they need something from Farabella, you know. Yeah. They can't keep running him out there and missing wide open threes, so. No. He's been super, yeah, uh, inconsistent. Uh, not like how he was at TCU. He was pretty money. So, and I think just big picture here too: the fact that Farabello has struggled while a guy like Joey Calcaterra at UConn has been lights out. They're supposed to play the same role in these offenses. One of the guys is doing it. One of them isn't, and that's I think a big reason why the both of these teams aren't in the AP top ten right now. Yeah, my money would have been on Farabello as well, but. These are just two teams on a on a collision course for each other. They're two very fast-paced and efficient offenses. Um, Creighton's falling. They fell to 28 in Genpom. Marquette rose to 31. But even if Kalkbrenner plays, and that, which I don't think he will, um, I, I'm going to give Marquette the edge in a close one. This is what Shaka does, playing at home, kind of playing off of all your guys' points. But, yeah, this is going to be the game of the week for sure. But Marquette's just too deep to uh to drop this one at home the last time they met in this building was uh i believe new year's day last year that game went to double overtime osa ikadaro had a dunk to tie it late in regulation and then in overtime alex o'connell hit a buzzer beater kind of contested three on the wing it was an electric game early in the Big East slate last year so hopefully we're in for a fun one uh just one other note on this marquette team that i thought was interesting actually i got two that kind of go together here one, uh, Marquette has four players in double figures right now, and all of them were in single digits last year. All of these guys saw huge increases in scoring. You've got uh, Omax Prosper going from 6.6 points to over 15. Cam Jones, 7 to 16. David Joplin from under 3 points to more than 10. And then Igadaro from 5.5 to just about 11 there, doubling his lots of improvement. And also Tyler Kolek has 20 more assists than any other Big East player right now. <laughs> uh, this is Marquette. I, I just something about this Marquette team is so much fun to watch. They're kind of they're must-watch TV for me right now, the way they've been playing. And I will say, Matt, one more point on this one. Um Creighton against BYU, they tried the Xander Xander Yates thing uh to spell mm -hmm. Fred King, but then against AS, ASU, uh they just went small and went Kaluma at the five for a lot of the game. And I don't think that will be super effective against a team that has Oso uh, just because he's more athletic, right? Kaluma can't just blow by and, and get fouled all the time. So I think that's a bit of a problem. Fred King's going to have to play the bulk of the minutes. And, and yeah, we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, it's just, it's a tough. If if there's no Kalk Brenner for this one, this is a really really tough match for Creighton, and we might see six and zero turn into six and six in a hurry. Just really that that would be the story of the conference, I think, at this point. If that's what's going on with the Blue Jays, well, let's move on to the Saturday slate here because we had we had co Big East games of the week this week, and the other one is the early one here on Saturday. That's going to be Providence at Seton Hall. 12:30 on Fox. This gets the national treatment, which this is, this is an this is going to be an ugly game to get the national treatment. I'll tell you that much. I'm going to be there in person. I'm excited to see just what these teams look like. Brian, we'll we'll come to you with this one because I'm curious to get your take on how these teams match up with one another. I mean, Holloway wants to play ugly, right? That's what we found out from him. Um, he came out after the Rutgers game and said, "I think we're finally figuring out who we are or who we need to be." You know, he wants to play ugly. He wants to score in the 40s. He's good with that. Um, and so it's how does Providence respond to that? Um, you know, how do they keep their composure on a, a defense that's long, athletic, and trying to turn you over? Uh, you know, you wonder how much Bryce Hopkins is going to have to play the leading role for Providence as he has up to this point. And then you, you want to know what you can get from Jared Bynum. And that's kind of that's been a big question now in Providence for a while now. What what are you going to get from Jared Bynum? Um, I like bringing up Bryce Hopkins there because I think this is a Seton Hall team with a lot of lengthy wings, and Hopkins is hasn't really faced guys like that yet since he's been in Providence. That, that's going to be a, a big test for him. Tommy, what's your perspective on this one? Yeah, I mean Bryce Hopkins should fare well against Tyree Samuel if he can keep him off the offensive glass. Um, this game is away, and Hall is good defensively, but they are just abysmal offensively. Um, Providence is a team who struggles against better competition. Uh, Seton Hall is not that right now, so I'm going to give the edge to uh, to Providence on the road. All right, you're picking the Friars. Chris, where are you going with this? Yeah, I'll go the Friars too for a couple of reasons. I watched the Albany game which I believe was Providence's last game. Yes. Uh, and, you know, Al- Albany is certainly not part of Murderer's Row, but <laughs> Providence looked more efficient, and they just looked more, you know, w- with a good flow. And I liked I-, I liked the progression of that team right now. Also, teams are shooting over 80% from the free throw line against them and nearly 37% from deep. Uh, I think those are, you know, due for some regression. I think uh, Providence is due for some good luck if you will. Also, <laughs> quick fact on Ken Palm, Ed, Cros- Ed Croswell, offensive rebounding percentage in the nation. What do you guys think he is? I know the answer to this one, so I'm going to stay out of it. No clue. Tenth. Third in the nation. That's wow. wild. That blew my mind. Yeah. Guess that. And it's he's a he's an undersized center there. So it's he plays with a surprising amount of finesse. I think is really interesting to watch. Uh, I think one thing that stood out to me even last year is you got 6'10", the large Nate Watson out there, and he gets blocked more than the 6'9", Croswell would. They, they kind of he, he has that touch around the rim and a real nice feel for where to get the ball and how to put it back up, which is interesting. Uh, one last note on this one. Um, if you go on Ken Palm and you're, you're like looking in the game view where you can see both teams, You'll notice that he, the Providence offense and the Seton Hall defense are both reasonably green. Providence's offense is 40th in the country. Seton Hall's defense is 33rd. So when the Friars have the ball, I think we're going to have a really competitive matchup between a good, tough defense and an offense that's been playing well so far this year. And then when Seton Hall has the ball, very mediocre. Seton Hall's offense is 113th. Providence's defense is 112th this year. So I think... And sometimes what happens on that end ends up being kind of more influential on the game because if Providence's defense isn't that good and Seton Hall comes out and finds that scoring that they haven't had really this year, then maybe they get into a lead and that things get easier on the Seton Hall defense or vice versa. If the Providence defense can lock in like Ed Cooley likes to do, then they can make life really hard here and uh, take some pressure off of the offense to score every single time they're down the end, that end of the court. This will be an interesting game. Again, that's the 1230 Eastern game on Fox. And then the last game, uh, Saturday night, last Big East game of this weekend, UConn at Butler. This will be 7 p.m. Eastern at Hinkle on FS1. We'll, we'll get through this real quick here. Tommy, what's the biggest storyline to you? Uh, I think Manny Bates is amazing. Uh, and they have good guard play with Jaden Taylor and Chuck Harris, but Sonogo and Klingon are just going to be too much. 
Um, if Butler wants to win this one, they're going to need to hit their shots early and often. Um, and as a Villanova fan, I know this extremely well. Anything can happen in Henkel, but I mean, UConn's just too much. Yeah. Chris, what do you think? Yep, same. Believer in Hinkle magic, but not going to come through this time. Ryan? We haven't seen a bad night from UConn yet. Unless we see a really bad night from UConn, I think they're staying undefeated. Yeah, that's that's where I tend to go on this one. I think you could argue they're due for a bad night. I think you could say that Butler plays good defense too. I don't know if that's going to be enough. I think this is where we find out just how good Manny Bates is, if he can be in that top tier of Big East centers or if he is kind of one of the best in that next tier of guys. Bates against Sonogo and or Klingon, whoever's out there, that's that's what I'm watching every time down both ends of the floor. That's what I'm going to have my eyes on. That's it for the Big East games this year. We're going to briefly touch on the three non-conference games, which I believe are the three, the last three non-conference games of the year here. Uh, we'll, we'll just go in chronological order. We'll go through these real quick. DePaul at Northwestern. This is a DePaul team that just lost tonight at Duquesne. They, they take on Northwestern. That's a 2 p.m. game in Evanston on Big Ten Network. Chris, does DePaul have a shot here? Uh, certainly they have a shot, um, but it, it depends on the health of DePaul. I believe they were out both centers again today. Not sure yep. about that, but I believe so. Um, on agenda is going to be out through, I think, January or February now. See, it's surgery. So, yeah, it's tough. Uh, playing without your two main big guys is super hard. But yeah, why not? Go Big East. Give me DePaul. <laughs> Ryan? Beat Minnesota. You could argue Minnesota's a better team than Northwestern. I'll ride with DePaul. <laughs> and Tommy? I'm going to pick DePaul just because of Northwestern's stupid-ass red, white, and blue uniforms. Have you seen those yet? Yeah. Bad. <laughs> they're the, like, are they like the Chicago flag ones, right? Yeah. First of all, they're not in Chicago. Second of all, like their colors are purple and white. Like, Figure it out. Give me DePaul. I like the Big East optimism. I got to pick Northwestern here because Northwestern, I think, is a halfway decent program. And with how banged up DePaul lost to Duquesne tonight. Duquesne is bad. So yeah. that's that's gonna be tough for DePaul. Next game starting 30 minutes after that, roughly. St. John's against Florida State. This is down in Florida. This is part of the Orange Bowl classic, part of like the bowl game festivities they do down there. And I'm gonna tell you finding TV information for this one was tough. It's gonna be on Bali Sports Florida, I believe, for Florida State people, and then on MSG up here in the north for the St. John's fans. Uh, but, yeah, they're making this one hard to watch. And Florida State has been hard to watch this year as well. Ryan, do we think uh, we're going to have another Florida State loss here and a St. John's win and the non-conference? Yeah, that's how it's shaping up. You know, unless St. John's throws out another game like Iowa State, uh, they should be in good shape for this one. Yeah. Tommy? I think Posh, Curbelo, and Soriano could probably win this game five on three. Um <laughs> Florida State stinks. St. John's doesn't. Uh, St. John's takes care of the ball. They should be able to win this one by double digits. Any dissent from you, Chris? Uh, probably not. Florida State, I will say, has looked slightly better. Uh, they hung with Virginia. They beat the doors off of Louisville. Um, I think we are starting to see a more competent version of that team, but I do think St. John's is still better. I think yeah. us four with like another writer from Road to the Garden could probably beat the doors off of Louisville right now. Though. <laughs> To be fair, let's see. Let's see what Mike's up to right now. I know he's currently in college. He's probably he's probably hitting the gym. Yeah, recruit someone from Portland Bible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, uh, Florida State has actually moved up from one sixty four to one thirty nine in Ken Palm. So yeah, they have had improvement. But this is a game St. John's should. If St. John's loses this one, that's that's an issue. That's yeah. this will go down as a bad loss. It's crazy to say that against Florida State. Um, we're going to finish up here. The last game, a little bit of a big five action, Villanova at St. Joe's, uh, in Philly on CBS sports network. Chris, we'll start with you. Does Villanova get tripped up on the road again here? Uh, the last time I was on the podcast, I was, uh, anti Nova in a, a big five game. It didn't work out. Uh, I will say Penn didn't have Clark Slackert or Max Lorca Lloyd. Um, but no Villanova wins this game. I think St. Joe's is bad. Um, yeah, they'll win. Okay. Brian? 
Cam Whitmore's back. Villanova's back on track. Wildcats. And and Tommy, you're the Nova guy. Round us out here. Yeah, I'm not going to this game. I'll actually be at the Garden. I'm going to take the road to the Garden. I'm going to go to the <laughs> little CBS Sports Classic because I think Nova has this one in the bag. I, uh, this isn't a game I have circled on my calendar. Although this is probably St. Joe's best chance to get Villanova for the first time since literally I've been in middle school. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, give me Villanova in a blowout. But you heard that Villanova fan that Villanova loses. It is on Tommy. Definitely blame him if that's if that's what ends up going yeah. on here. Uh, I'm also going to take the Cats in this one, rounding it out. And that's going to do it for us on this show. Thanks for joining me, guys. I think this is a fun one. And we're going to have some good Big East action coming up. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. That's Ryan Cassidy, Chris Dadinga, Tommy Godin. Go follow them on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at Road to the Garden. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And you can go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel too if you want to watch us and see our faces when we're talking about this instead of just hearing us. Definitely go do that if you are interested. We're going to be back, I believe, on Sunday after all the stuff to talk about it. So tune in then. And uh, thanks for listening.